If you're not performing well as an individual, it's really hard to help your team perform or your organization to perform. You know, our mantra is kind of better at you, better at we, better at you, better at what you do. And so we start with individuals and really help them take a deep dive into different aspects of performance. And, you know, some of that is what people standard think of human performance, which is movement, fitness, nutrition. But we go into cognition, we go into relationships, nature, character, spirituality, some things that, you know, we call them soft, but I will tell you it, to me, it's the hardest work I've ever done. Hi folks, I'm Dan Dworkis, and this is the Emergency Mind Podcast, a space where we bring together lessons from the emergency department and beyond about performance when it matters the most and applying knowledge under pressure. All right, welcome to episode 71B, where we're back for part two with Dr. Jen Wagner. Now, if you haven't already, I'd recommend you go back and listen to part one first, that's episode 71A, and then come back here to this episode. As a reminder, Jen is the chief medical advisor for the Liminal Collective, a pediatric anesthesiologist with a huge depth of experience, and an overall awesome human being who's working to push the boundaries of human performance. In the first part of the episode, 71A, we talked mostly about the medical world in training to excel under pressure. In this part, 71B, we're going to dig into the power of being uncomfortable and vulnerable on the path to greatness, and we're going to focus more on Jen's current work with the Liminal Collective. Now, if you're loving what you're hearing and you want to support the Emergency Mind Project further, consider, consider heading over to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash emergency mind and make any sort of a contribution. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash emergency mind. Now, obviously, the best way to support the Emergency Mind Project is to go out and do the hard work with your teams. But if you want to make a more direct impact on the project itself, any contribution would be greatly appreciated. Also, don't forget you can reach us directly about anything having to do with the podcast using podcast at emergencymind.com. Still, it's not the most inventive name for an email, but we would love to hear from you anyway. Okay. All of that said, let's jump into this awesome episode 71B with Dr. Jen Wagner. Okay, hope you enjoy. This is maybe a good time to pivot and, and use that last sort of hook you were saying about watching how other teams do this, because I want to come back to debriefing and how we do it well. But I'd love to switch gears a little bit. What is your new role? What is the Liminal Collective? And, and how have you been sort of leveraging and expanding these experiences to, to really look at human performance across different domains? So almost a year ago now, I left clinical medicine and joined a human performance team called the Liminal Collective. It is a group of amazing people that I feel so fortunate to get to hang out with and work with on a daily basis whose really underlying interest is advancing humanity and enabling humans to reach their boldest endeavors. And it was really interesting. I have a master's in exercise physiology. And so I was in the kind of sports performance world in graduate school. And that is what I equated to human performance. And so when I got this opportunity, initially, I was like, oh, this is gonna be fun. We're gonna you know, work with athletes, blah, blah, blah. And then I got in there and we do do some of that and it's super fun, but it is such a more holistic definition of what it means to be human and human performance. And so I was a little blown away because to be honest with you, when I started, I wasn't quite sure what I was getting into. They were like, oh, come and hang out. I mean, you know the crew. They're really nice people. They're very generous. And they're like, come and hang out with us. It'd be great. You can be part of our team. And it was kind of vague. Like, I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I was leaving a job that was very specific and very well described. And I had a very set of responsibilities that was 
tangible and tactical. And I left at the end of the day with a sense of completion of those tasks. And now I'm in this very kind of nebulous world. And so, but what has been astounding to me is, so we as a group help teams to perform better. And we usually start with the individual. So if you're not performing well as an individual, it's really hard to help your team perform or your organization to perform. So we really, you know, our mantra is kind of better at you, better at we, better at you, better at what you do. And so we start with individuals and really help them take a deep dive into different aspects of performance. And, you know, some of that is what people standard think of human performance, which is movement, fitness, nutrition. But we go into cognition, we go into relationships, nature, character, spirituality, some things that, you know, we call them soft, but I will tell you it, to me, it's the hardest work I've ever done is looking at some of these really more theoretic aspects of humans that also require you to kind of take a deep look inside and look at some ugly stuff that you try not to have to look at in yourself all the time. So we help people understand how to optimize these different areas of their own self. And then we take that into a team and say, okay, now that you've gotten the skills to do it for yourself, how do we bring that into a team? We work with leaders to say, how do you be a better coach? How do you be a better leader? And then hopefully that translates into organizations performing at their best. It's pretty fun. We get to work with so many different and amazingly talented groups of people from people in the military to sports and athletic teams to corporations, people in medicine. It's just been an amazing opportunity to kind of take some of the performing under pressure and communication skills that were so honed in medicine and help apply them in different areas. And, you know, our team is very multidisciplinary. And so it's been really, really exciting and educational to see how people of different backgrounds approach a similar problem. And I think that's a really unique thing that our team brings into these situations is that, you know, we have Navy SEALs, we have Cirque du Soleil performers, we have, you know, we have just such a variation of talent on our team. And it's great to watch us all kind of bring pieces to life. So it's been pretty exciting. You know, I, I mean, I'm thinking back to the first time that you and I met where the instructions I were give, was given was literally just show up at this space and that's it and good luck. And like that vagueness is, I think, part of the, the stamp and the, you know, the special yep. sauce of, of Limo, which I love. But it's sort of an exact opposite of that. One of the things we said in, in what is, I guess, part one of all of this is talking about building a language to speak about the different problems and the solutions. And it strikes me that that's in a way sort of what you're doing with this, right? Like you're taking these different approaches to these common problems of crisis resource management, performance under pressure, and this bridge between knowing myself and knowing my team and trying to build a language on it that really transcends domain. Because you and I can talk about, you know, intubating people and and the details of that one moment, because that's a that's a, an anchor point for both of us. But how do you do that across fields? So what does that look like? What is that? What is exploring that language really look like? Yeah, I don't have an easy answer for that, but I can say that what has been really astonishing, you know, we have the fortunate, or we are fortunate, I should say, to be able to do a lot of our work in person and with small groups. And so with that, we can do a lot of experiential training, which I think is really helpful in creating the nonverbal language that goes along with a lot of this. And so it's been really 
need to challenge these groups in very different environments. So for example, we'll take a corporate team and put them in a dance studio with choreographers and they'll have to produce a dance. And that's really uncomfortable for people that sit in a boardroom and are used to being the boss, the leader. They don't feel uncomfortable in that environment. They feel very at home. And all of a sudden they're being asked to not only do something they may have never done, but then perform it in front of others. And so I think that really it all comes back down to communication and mindset. And so I think we've really trying to teach them, you have to be able to communicate with your team and you have to be able to understand yourself enough that you understand how you communicate verbally, how you communicate non-verbally. And, you know, that's why dance is such a great area to do this in because there's a lot of nonverbal communication. What's your body language saying? How are you moving? And that's going to affect how the rest of your team is moving. And so it really opens their eyes and my eyes. I've gotten to participate in these events to so many different ways to communicate and approach a problem that when I come back to it, I'm like, huh, we don't have to think about this all in the standard way that we've thought about it for so long. And that it is You know, we get so siloed in the people we work with and it, you know, nobody likes to come to dinner with my husband and I were two anesthesiologists. We can sit there and have a conversation and no one understands what we're talking about. (laughs) You know, I think that when this, you know, liminal is great at bringing in people from all different types. And it's great to see the Navy SEAL comment on the dance. You know, again, that's not where he came from. That's not his background, but he can provide insight into say, wow, when you did this, did you see how your teammates reacted? And so that part has been really great at developing new languages. And these people leave with a skill set and a comfort level of admitting when they don't know, which is sometimes very new, you know, and we see that in medicine all the time, that (laughs) the ability to say, I don't know, is very powerful. And many very successful, very competent people have never developed that skill. And eventually it becomes a barrier for them. And so I think to take this an environment and put them in some place where they're so uncomfortable that it's easy for to say that. And then that kind of gets more comfortable saying, wow, I was really uncomfortable. I did not know what to do and it worked out okay. And so that's been a really neat to see people grow in those environments and develop the communication skills and the resource management and the teamwork to, again, it's doing something fun that you know, is low pressure at the end, but it doesn't feel low pressure. You know, we often put heart rate monitors on our participants and it's fascinating to watch them physiologically go off the charts when they're asked to do a solo dance with J-Lo's choreographer. You know, I'm I'm speaking from my own personal self. My heart rate is like 180. And my team's laughing at me. And I, I was like, this is really uncomfortable. So, but it's great because it really allows you to establish trust and it allows you to create a language around trusting others in uncomfortable situations, which I think then leads to better performance. So I wonder if part of that goes back to what you're describing about the reflection piece on it, right? Because we've all been in uncomfortable circumstances where your thought at the end of it is like, oh, that's so great. That's over. I'm never doing anything like that ever again. Right. But instead to to take like, what is the ending Like, what is the alchemy of that at the end of that that allows you to sort of transform that moment of discomfort into what you're describing, which is a new and better way to look at yourself and your team? Mm -hmm. I think it is the reflection component is key. And, you know, this is something that I have learned from our military colleagues in our company. They don't do anything without unpacking it at the end. 
We do not have an event or a evolution in an event where at the end we don't sit down as a group and reflect on it. And it's a formal structured process. And it is something I wish I would have known to do in in my years of clinical medicine. You know, I think we have M&M where you just feel like you're on stage being bombarded. You know, we occasionally have other types of review processes in medicine, but it doesn't happen very well. It doesn't happen timely usually. It doesn't happen strategically most of the time. And it's probably something we should be doing all the time, even when things are going well. Like, wow, things are going really well right now. Let's look and see what we're doing. So when things start to go poorly, whether we're inefficient or we're having bad outcomes, we can reflect on when things were going well, because we have an organized list of why things were going well and see what's changed. And so I think that this very structured way of reviewing, you know, we call it an after action review is really helpful. And I think that cements those skills and also makes those skills more available in other environments to people when you've sat down afterwards and really identified them. And because sometimes it does take putting a name to that, like We saw, you know, even saying, how did that feel for you? You know, what words would you describe that? And having someone actually have to say how they felt. How did you feel about the environment you were in? Did you feel like you had support? You know, all of these things in a very non-judgmental way. And it really, it's beautiful when it's done correctly. And I'm by no means great at leading those, but it's really an opportunity for people of very different disciplines to comment and reflect with and listen to and then provide some feedback. And I think that is probably the most important part of almost any evolution that we do is taking that time. And it doesn't take long. I mean, it can take five or 10 minutes to cement, to identify what the really key components of the exercise was, unpack them a little bit, cement the ideas, and then move on. What's the bridge there back to what you said about you start with, I'm going to misquote you, but it's basically like you start with you and then move to we, right? So you've done this experience where you've had all of this discomfort and you've danced in front of people and your heart rate's a billion. And now you're sort of regrouping from that. How do you tell people what's people's homework after that? Like they go home and they have to absorb that experience. Cause there's like, there's like the moment, the after action report, and then like, the evolution phase where you're really sort of integrating and building after that, right? What does that look like? So I think for me personally, it is looked at continuing reflection and trying to consciously evaluate when I am in a difficult situation, what I'm using. And for me, it's it's been slowing down. You know, I think I lived life at a pace that was probably not sustainable. And this transition has really allowed me to take the time to slow down and consciously put energy towards developing those skill sets that I've learned in different situations or developing that communication. And I realize now I'm actually probably much more efficient and I'm not necessarily slower at doing anything. I'm probably actually faster in doing it better because I've allowed myself that time to really have to come to some conclusions, to then take those conclusions and implement them in my life and keep things more on the forefront that I used to just take for granted. You know, I got up this morning, had a fight with my teenage daughter, whatever, it's fine, go to work, 
just put it in the back of my head, not deal with it versus even now, just like driving the car, going, huh, how could I have handled that situation better? Did I need to get so upset? What skills could I have used? And just kind of constantly replaying on those lessons that I've learned that I think, you know, I, I think it's similar to trying to do anything new, you know, to change the way you eat, to add a new exercise routine in that it has to be, it's a conscious effort before it becomes a habit. And so I think that's how I've learned to kind of carry a lot of those teachings forward is to keep them forward in my consciousness and identify them when I think about it and put a name to it. You know, for me, I have a huge irrational fear of sharks. And as you probably well know, our team is very water-based. We have Australian lifeguards. We have people that love it. Competitive swimmers. We have Navy SEALs. They want to be in the ocean all the time. And I'm like, I am not the right person to be on this team because of that. And lo and behold, November, I'm in the Pacific at three in the morning. And I was like, okay, am I, <laughs> I was like, you're going to die. He's like, you're going to have a panic attack. You're going to die. Like, I think I'm going to be okay. But that lesson of resiliency and getting through that and my ability to let myself depend on others to help me through that has then translated into my life of being much more comfortable asking and accepting for help in different situations, even as simple as asking a friend if they can help carpool, which I would have never done before because I would have taken it as a sign of inadequacy and that I wasn't able to do it all. And so I think there are, I mean, that's such a trivial example, but it makes a huge difference in my life and my well-being. And so it's it's not always these aha life-changing moments. It's kind of these little skills that at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm a little bit happier because I didn't try to do everything because I've I've learned that I can use other people and trust other people. And I had an experience that cemented that. We talked about that. And I was able in that review to identify that part of the reason I was able to do this task is because I let myself be encouraged and helped by other people and walk away with a really great sense of accomplishment that I had overcome a huge fear And then taking that little tidbit that I was able to self-identify in a period of reflection to say, wow, asking for help sometimes when you need it and being able to rely on other people is a really powerful thing. And using that in big areas and small areas going forward. And so I think that's just kind of one example of how Mm -hmm. it translates through. And again, I think most of these skills that we try to teach people now with liminal are not these oh my God, life-changing skills. There are these subtle little ways to look at things differently, even ways to forgive yourself, ways to communicate a little bit better, just little changes on what's already there that then really over time, cumulatively, really create a big impact. I don't think anybody's walked away being like, wow, I'm now going to run us up to our marathon. You know, that's kind of not what we're going for. I mean, that'd be great, but that's kind of not, not our goal. And so I think that just giving time for people to reflect and come to some of their own conclusions in a safe space, then really allows them to take those skill set in back into their own worlds and apply them in different ways. Thank you for explaining it that way. That's that's awesome, and that really mirrors the what we talk about in the Emergency Mind Project about the cycle of prepare, perform, recover, and evolve. And then it's not just the moment of doing the skill; it's actually like taking the time to reflect afterwards to recover from it. 
consciously, not just accidentally, which is sort of what we do in medicine a lot of the time. And then really consciously bringing that evolution piece to bear into it and asking yourself this question of like, well, what am I going to do differently? What does this mean if this is a thing that I need to pay attention to? And how do I pay attention to it? it? It's so striking to me that like our system, at least in medicine, exists in such a way that it trains ultra high functioning humans, at least one of which you is on this podcast. And at the same time, we're scared of asking for help in things like carpool because we are taught in a framework that's like, no, that's weakness. Don't do that. Yeah. Right. And you look at the, like, you look at the, you know, the studies about when do we move from intubating people to, you know, doing surgical front of the neck access. And the answers are all, well, we don't want to admit that we're wrong. So we don't switch to our backup tool. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is like, lives are on the line for that. Lives are on the line right. for that. Right. Like you have to do that. And and we've somehow built this system that, that that's not how we train people. So I'm so encouraged to hear this set of ideas around this, around like, how do we train people to be more vulnerable and to ask for help and to understand that that's not weaker. That's in fact, much, much, much stronger. And that the individuals and teams that that system produces are the folks that are going to go on to push the edges of humanity. And, you know, we, it's been really fun. You know, it's been fun to pull people One of the last events we did, we created a medical scenario and we took a group of people that had very varying levels of medical training. Some, you know, had some athletic training backgrounds. Some were not medical at all and had no technical skills. And we threw them into some medical scenarios. And it was great to watch them have to use communication and teamwork skills, regardless of what technical skills were required to be able to to handle a situation and handle a scenario. And, you know, we taught them some technical skills along the way because that's all, you know, everybody should know CPR, et cetera. But it was great to watch them perform in that environment under simulated pressure. And they had a blast. You know, this was a group of younger professionals and they came out of that and they were so energized. And the comments, you know, it had really nothing to do with the medical aspect. They're like, wow, we had to talk. We had to, we, you know, we had to move a six, five guy off the side of a hill together. And so that took a lot of communication and it took a lot of trust and it took, you know, someone stepping up as a leader, other people willing to follow that lead. And it's still others willing to say, whoa, wait a second. I think we're off here. Can we reassess and either need to, you know, reestablish a leadership role with someone else or help the leader reframe what was going on in the situation. And those are just such great skills to have. And they were so excited. And to hear them go back and talk about how they were going to implement those skills in very different environments was awesome. You know, it's so mm-hmm. rewarding to hear. I will tell you, that was one thing I was worried about when I transitioned out of medicine is yeah. being a physician is very rewarding. You know, helping people is very rewarding. And, am I, and I was worried, am I going to have that same, get that same sense and feel that I am actually helping people? And so it's, it, for me, it was great to see these young professionals be so excited with the confidence they had gotten in those communication and leadership skills and even learning how to follow, you know, when they've been a leader themselves saying, wow, I'm not leading this situation. I need to learn how to listen and take direction and do those sorts of things. So it's been super fun. You know, I'm so struck by the difference in what you're describing, the conscious approach to training mindset, leadership, followership, and teamwork from the story we started all of this with, which is sort of an unconscious 
building a culture of excellence by just random examples of people leaving a water break fast. Like, like the difference in those things is, is enormous. And thank you so much for taking us through that arc and exploring everything. I, I wonder, as we're about to close out here, if there's any particular challenge you want to leave folks with as they're listening to this. We've talked about a bunch along the way, right? We've talked about like taking the time to really process what you've been learning and try to work around putting names to things that you're going through and feeling. We've talked about leveraging halo events towards the, the room management skills, about thinking consciously about zooming out and zooming back in. You know, we could break all of these down into their own sessions, but is there anything in particular you want folks to do different after they listen to this? You know, I think my biggest takeaway from my career in medicine and from my transition now is allowing yourself the time to reflect, especially in a stressful situation. And that would be my challenge to people because it's hard to do. It's uncomfortable to do a lot of the time, which is why I think we don't do it in certain aspects of our lives. I think in other aspects of our lives, we're not given the space to do it. So I challenge individuals to give themselves the space to do it, first of all, and then to encourage people in their environments to do it, whether it's their team in the boardroom, whether it's you know, a healthcare team to really implement that as part of your work system, because I think the benefits of it are astronomical and what it can do for your own performance and for the performance of your group is it's, it's mind boggling how beneficial it can be to give yourself the space to reflect and try to pick out something that you want to take with you from that experience. Amazing. Jen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been incredible and like such an honor to sit down and talk with you. Well, thanks, Dan. It's so fun. Thanks for inviting me. Hopefully we'll talk soon. All right, folks, that brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you learned something and I hope you enjoyed. As always on this podcast, our goal is to dive deep into what it takes to perform under pressure. Nothing that we discuss here should be construed as medical advice, and all of the opinions that we discuss are our own and are not necessarily representative of any organization with which we were affiliated or for whom we work. If you want to go even deeper and get more involved, don't forget to check out our book. It's called The Emergency Mind, Wiring Your Brain for Performance Under Pressure. And you can find it at emergencymind.com book. All right. Good luck out there.